again, and uh, welcome to week four of our series, Sheet Music. This is the fourth and final installment in the, the series. I, I told somebody last week, um, I never, ever, ever, when I set out to, to preach in a message series, try to elevate one message or even look forward to one message um, in a series more than any of the others. I think, you know, we, we, I don't ever want to preach a message that's kind of a throwaway. Um, but from time to time, I get a little more jacked up about a message in the series than some of the others, and that would be the message for today. I'm pretty excited about it because what we've been doing over the last several weeks is we've been uh, walking through the, the godly design and definition and, and, and best practices of, of sexual intimacy within the confines of marriage. Now, before I before I get in any further, I forgot to do this during the welcome today, so I want to go ahead and, and once again, like we've done every other week during this series, let you know that if um, you have some, some younger ears in here that you may not really want hearing uh, about sex and sexual intimacy and passion and husband and wife type stuff, um, now would be a fantastic time to get them over to Fusion Kids where we have some incredible volunteers teaching age-appropriate material over there. Nobody, nobody will make fun of you if you get up right now and walk out, and, but, but hurry back because we're going to have a lot of fun today, and here's why. I, I fully believe that a, a great disservice has been done to the topic, not only outside of the church and by media, but, but inside the church as well. I think churches should be talking about sex and intimacy and what that kind of stuff looks like in marriage more than anybody else. As a matter of fact, the Bible speaks more about sex than it does about heaven or hell. Because if there's one of the things that tend to derail us in our walk of faith, our journey with Christ and our desire to be more like Christ and to connect with God better, one of the things that derails that more times than not are unhealthy marriages or unhealthy sexual temptation. I think the church should be talking about it. We, we decided to take four weeks to talk about it because we just felt like it, it needed some addressing. And so my hope for today, what we've done during this series is we've taken a look at, at why we should wait until marriage for, for sex to happen. And we'll talk more about that today. We, in week two, it talks to the men about how to better relate to their wives if they wanted to be more intimate and have more passion in their marriages. And we're going to talk more about that today. And then last week, I talked to the ladies about how to demonstrate more affection and admiration to their husbands. And we're going to talk more about that today also. Today is a, is a kind of a what it looks like when you put it all together kind of message. Now, we've been talking a lot about it for the last couple of weeks. And today, we're going to see what it looks like when you put it all together. Because like I said, I feel like this huge disservice has been done to the topic. Like, I believe that we should have healthy expectations when we're coming into a marriage. We should have healthy expectations of our husbands and our wives. We should have expectations. What happens most of the times is we allow Hollywood and the media and, you know, my buddy back in the seventh grade who told me something to, to help form or shape our expectations and then the expectations that we bring into marriage are unhealthy and incorrect. I mean, just think about it. If you watch the movies now, don't they make sex look like it's this easy and perfect, right? Like clothes just slide off like silk over glass, you know, the lighting is always right and the music. 
married people in the room, can we just tell all the non-married people in the room, that ain't, that ain't how it is. Show hands. How many people, right, like your foot, foot stuck in your jeans, you, just, you know, you can't, uh, it's, just, it's, just, it's just not that way. And, and, and not only in, in that regard, but in so many other regards, we bring in these unhealthy and, and incorrect presuppositions and expectations of how it's going to be all night long, every night. You know, that ain't true. It's not even close to true. But just because we're wrong about that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have some expectations. And so today, I want to lay out for us the, the picture God put a book in his word to us all about the relationship between a husband and a wife. We've looked at it in the last couple of weeks. It's the book of Song of Solomon, the most erotic and passionate book in all of the Bible. And today, I'm going to walk us through verse by verse through Song of Solomon chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles and you want to read along or turn there with me, we'll also, you can also follow us on uh, version. We've got the stuff there, version Live. You can look it up there. And we're going to put it on the screen just so you have a, an opportunity to see what it is that Solomon said in, in his book about how marriage and intimacy should work. Now, now men, we are going to get a class today in game. All right? Like there, I've met a lot of you, you have no game. All right? Solomon, not only was he the king of, of, of Israel for a while, king of Jerusalem for a while, he was the king of game. All right? And so we can learn a lot from Solomon about how to spit some game. All right? So are you ready? Here we go. This is how he starts off. Verse 1, chapter 4 of Song of Solomon. Behold, Talking to his now bride. Now, just FYI, chapters 1, 2, and 3, they've been engaged. Chapter 4, they are now married. Most scholars, and myself include, included in that, even though I'm not necessarily considered a scholar, um, believe this is the wedding night. All right? Wedding night. You tracking? This is, this is it. Like consummation time. Ready? Verse 1. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold. You are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats <laughs> leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Mad game, right? Just, you gotta have game to be talking about goats. No, no listen, no, here's what he's, he's He's complimenting her. He's complimenting his his bride, as she stands there, with, apparently with her veil still on, but her hair is down. He's saying, your hair is, is flowing. He's talking about from, from, like from Mount Gilead. It's coming down over her shoulders. He's complimenting her, her hair. You're beautiful. Your hair, it looks like, it's like goats coming down on the mountainside. I mean, we, I'm sure the imagery to her was much different than for, for a lot of us. But, but he's complimenting her. Men, you need to learn to compliment your wives, we, we talked a few weeks ago about the rampant insecurities that exist in most women. The world is giving them a standard that, they, that not only is it ever changing, but it's always impossible to reach. And the one thing that can go a long way for you men and for myself as well is to consistently and constantly remind our wives they are beautiful. Got goat hair all over the body. They're beautiful. <laughs> Whatever. In the, in, in the next six verses, Solomon is going to stop, 
start at, at the, the crown of her head, and he's going he's gonna to go all the way from head to toe, complimenting and describing and, and affirming his wife. You remember, we, we read a few verses where, where she spoke back in chapter 1 and said, don't look at me. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just not that pretty. I, you know, I, the, the sun has burned me. I'm, I'm so, uh, just don't look at me. Now he's telling her, you're, you're beautiful, starting with her with her hair. And I meet, I meet some men, I meet some dudes, and they're like, you know, I will compliment my wife. I'm just, I'm just not that good with words. You know, Pastor Brian, I kind of, you know, you get up and talk, and I, I wish I could talk and, you know, just be good with words. I'm just not good with words. He just told her her hair likened him in his mind to goats. All right, give it a shot. Just try it. I bet you'd be surprised at how receptive your wife would be. Verse two, you got hair like goats, Verse 2, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ooze. Those are sheep that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins. So we moved on from goat hair to sheep teeth. All right? And he's telling each of them has its twin. She, she ain't missing any teeth. Like, and it, I, don't, I mean, dental care in you know, ancient Near East, probably not the same as today. To have all of her teeth probably a remarkable feat and he's glad all right so i'm glad you got all your chompers try i tried this with my wife last week like baby i love your goat hair and your sheep teeth didn't work out for me but it's going to work out for solomon let's keep reading verses three and four it it gets a little better your lips are like a, a scarlet thread the red your mouth is lovely your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil your neck is like the, the Tower of David built in rows of stone. Here's what he's saying. The Tower of David was a massive monument, and it was, and it was tall. And so what he's saying about her neck is that her, her head is up. She's, she's standing in confidence, right? Why? Probably because he's affirming her, because he's complimenting her. Men, listen to me. Listen to me, men. Part of getting her to open up, is doing and saying the things that will lift her head and give her a confidence and an affirmation about herself. All right, just going back to what we we just said. If you want things to go well with you, you'll learn to compliment and affirm your wife to dissipate all of the insecurities that she feels about herself. Verse 5. I'm just going to turn this way. Um... Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. I told you. Fifty Shades of Solomon right here. So, now, now, let, now just F, let's think about this for a minute, guys. He's, he's, talk, he's talking about her breasts, all right, which he should. If he's going to compliment her, he started at her head and he likes her eyes and her hair and her sheep teeth. And now he's, he's I like your neck, pretty, hot, you know, whatever. And he moves down to, to her breast. But, but do you see the, the, the metaphor or the simile that he uses here? What are he liking it to? Gazelles, fawns, and lilies. And I, I just get this picture of like, just hang with me, gentle. Guys, all right, are you with me? Like, I'm, I'm not a big deer hunter. All right, I don't do a lot of hunting, but, but some, some dudes in my family and a lot of my friends do. Go hunting. Now, here's what I know about deer hunting. You got to be kind of quiet. Like, you can't go in making a bunch of noise and, you know, you, you scare them off, right? Now, he just likened her breast to deer. Right? A lot of men go in like Rambo. Like, ah! You know, just, just, 
slow your roll, all right? Back off a little bit. We get all excited and like, and boobies, ah! You know, it's just like we can't, Jonah, Jonah, can I say boobies? And, all right, good. Right. New kind of church. All right, so just word, word to the wise men, all right? Just gentle, all right? And just take my word for it. All right, verse 6, moving on. It, it doesn't get any better. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. He's still talking about a chest. And did you hear, did you hear what he said? All night long, all night, till the day breathes and the shadows flee. Little Lionel Richie action going on in the book. Lionel didn't write that. Solomon wrote that. That's good stuff. All right. Verse 7. All right. Now, now, now we're back in. All right. Just whew. stay with me. Verse 7. You are all together beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. How can he say there's no flaw? I mean, come on. No, nobody in here would, would, would call themselves perfect, either mentally or physically. We've all got some stuff we would change, right? Even in, in chapter one, she said, I've got some flaws. or some things I don't want you to see. Don't look at me. I'm so just, you know, just don't. And the, the insecurity thing. And he says, no, no, no. There's, there's no flaw in you. All beautiful you are, my love. Let me, let me tell you what he's doing right here for her. He is redefining beauty based on her. She's now the standard. Here's what he's saying. If there is anything that is in you, it is not a flaw because you are perfection. Anybody else that wants to be perfect, they've got to be what you are. Men, listen to me. The things about your wife that you know and that you see that nobody else gets to see is what makes your relationship so special. These are things that only I know. And because that's significant to me, which means that is beautiful to me, all beautiful you are. I am redefining beauty based on you. Whatever you are is what beautiful is. Why is there no flaw? Because if it's in you, baby, it ain't a flaw. It should be what everybody else is striving to be. Man, if your wife has given birth to your children, and as a result of her giving birth to your children that you share together and you love, and maybe she's got some stretch marks or a, or a scar from the surgery. Stretch marks and scars just became sexy because they are a memory of the connection that you and I share that you don't share with anybody else. And because it's mine and mine alone and I got a part in that scar and I've got a part in those stretch marks, it is beautiful to me. There is no flaw in you. Hey. You beat me to my next note. Women, is it? That, that, like a man tells you that, I think he's getting somewhere. King of game, right? Women, this, would this turn you on? Your husband talking to you like this? Thank you. See, men take notes. All right, moving on. Verse 8. 
Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana and the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions and from the mountains of leopards. Here's what he's doing. He's telling her, with me, you're safe. Sex within marriage should be safe. It shouldn't be forced. It shouldn't, there shouldn't be anything that happens inside of your bedroom that both parties don't agree on. I'm, I'm all for, you know, the, the, the adventurous feel and, and maybe, you know, doing some things within the context of your marriage that you don't want anybody else knowing about, and that's fine. I think healthy fantasies are fine. I think sharing those healthy fantasies with your spouse is fine. But if your spouse says no, is no. The marriage bed should be a place of safety. And if the other one doesn't feel safe or free to say no, then you are in unhealthy territory and there's danger in your marriage. We've talked repeatedly throughout this series that that sex is one of the bonds that holds marriage together so tightly because it's more than just physical, that you connect on a level that is deep and intimate and it needs to be healthy. And if there is not safety, it cannot be healthy. And if it cannot be healthy, neither can your marriage. You're safe with me, he tells her. As well, she should be. Verses 9 and 10. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You've captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister and my bride. He's calling her, her his sister. There's no weird incest thing here. All right? It's just simply because they are both under the banner of God. They both belong to God. They're both God's children. Therefore, they're, they're sisters, not yet in Christ in this context, but in, in ours, that would be my, my wife is also my sister in Christ. He's referring to her in the same regard. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of, of, of your oils than any spice? I, I love this, this imagery here that he uses. He says, you've, you've captivated my heart. Because of who you are and because of how much I love you and because of your beauty and because of your love, you've, you've changed my heart. The, the New King James Version here uses the word ravished. You've, you've ravished my heart. My, my heart is fluttering. It's beating faster. I have palpitations because of you, my bride. You've, you've changed me, not just, from the, not just physically, but from the inside out. Again, just continuing to reaffirm and to, to demonstrate. Now, all this, listen to me, man. He hadn't touched her yet. You tracking with that? This is his wedding night. He's been waiting and saving and anticipating and expecting. And he has taken 10 verses before he touches her to affirm her, to compliment, to respect to let her know that she's safe and that she's loved and that he's changed because of the way that she loves. Ten verses, and he hadn't touched her. That changes in verse 11, though. Let's read this together. Verse 11, your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. 
or the French get a lot of credit for a style of kissing that they didn't invent. And it's Hebrew kissing. That's what that is. Verse 12. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. She's a virgin. She's, she's a garden that's, that's sealed up, that's locked off. Listen to me. It's the exclusivity of sex with your spouse that makes it as special as it is. I have the, I shared this with you a couple weeks ago. My wife, until we were married to, to have sex, and neither of us were, had been with anyone before. We were both virgins. And I, I got to tell you, it's, it's amazing for me. Maybe, maybe it's a macho thing. Maybe it's like, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know, I don't know exactly what it is, but it makes me feel so special and important to know that she saved it just for me. Single people in the room, Wait worth it. Pastor Jonah did a fantastic job in week one of talking about the, the, the importance and the sanctity of, of being pure when you're married. Man, we, we talked about last week about how men love to be respected. Like we, like we like to be elevated. We want to be revered by our spouse. What, what better way to demonstrate a respect and a reverence and an admiration for your husband than to say that I waited for you above every other person? It's incredible. Sometimes I, I feel a little bit bad for, for people who, who have sex before their honeymoon. I, I do. Not, just hang on with me for just a minute. Part of the fun of the honeymoon is the anticipation of the first time. It's just, it's just not the same outside of a honeymoon experience. Otherwise, it's just a really expensive vacation, right? I mean, this, it's, it's, this is one of the elements that makes it so incredible, now, a lot of my Marine buddies, when I was getting ready to get married, um, a lot of my, my Marine friends, they gave me a hard time because they, they were aware right, that we were waiting or whatever. And this was the, the common vernacular and adage that they would throw at me. They're like, yeah, Brian, but man, what happens if you get married and the sex isn't good? I mean, then you're going to be married. You're going to be trapped in a marriage for the rest of your life with bad sex. All right, here's the thing about sex. When you hadn't had any sex, all sex is great sex. I don't know bad sex. I only know one brand of sex, and it's awesome. If it's bad, ignorance is bliss. I'm just telling you. Save it. Wait. It's worth it to share that kind of intimacy with your spouse. And I believe that that's, that that's God's plan. That's God's design. That was his intent. When he put together the whole idea of marriage and sex, it was this. So that you could have that moment and that connection and that level of intimacy with your spouse. It was his idea. God isn't a prude about sex. Sex wasn't thought up in some porn store in a dark alley somewhere. It was God's idea. And he had a plan for it and a purpose for it. And it wasn't just for procreation and recreating more humans. It was for our enjoyment. And he intends for us to enjoy it. And the way that we can enjoy it the most is to be with one person ever for our entire lives. That is God's plan. Now, with that said, here's what I know. There's there's a lot of us in the room. But that's not your story. You, you didn't wait, and you, you had other partners and whatever else, and, and 
There's probably been a, maybe in, in your life, especially if you're now a believer and weren't then, especially, maybe there's some, some guilt and, and some, just, you know, some, some feelings of, of, of disgust. I, I don't know what you're dealing with, but here's what I do know. God's way is best in every regard and in every situation and every facet of life. God's way is best. It's best. But his grace is sufficient to cover our mistakes and to make good situations out of our bad choices. We should clap for that because that, that should be an encouragement to you. So if you're not married or if you've been divorced, I, I don't, whatever, whatever your, situ, whatever your situation is, you can make a decision today to reclaim your purity, to start now from this moment Going forward, I want my honeymoon to be the best sexual experience of my life because I decided to wait, to push off, to postpone. And I know that that's hard, especially if you're already in a relationship that's active sexually and you're not yet married. I know it's hard to stop. I get it, but it's worth it. And for the the missteps that you've made, God's grace is there to cover that because he loves you. And you can still have a vibrant, thriving marriage and sexual relationship with your spouse, even if you've messed up to this point. Now, in the last 12 verses, he's been doing all the talking. All right, and he'll continue to talk all the way through verse 15. There's some, and some imagery and some stuff there that gets a little cloudy or whatever. So I'm just going to skip down to where she begins to speak. At the beginning of verse 16. So let's, uh, let's read this together. Verse 16a. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Now, here's what you got to know if, if you're not familiar with the book of Song of Solomon. For the first three chapters, over and over and over, they, they, they use this phrase, Awaken not love before it desires. Let love not awaken before it desires. Don't, awake, don't wake up until it's time. That's what they're saying, right? Now they're married. It's verse 16. It's her turn to speak. And she says, wake up, old north wind and old south wind. Wake up. Let's get it on. Like, this is a Marvin Gaye. Again, Marvin didn't write it. The bride in Song of Solomon did. All right, let's get it on. Ah! I mean, she's, wake up. I sang twice today. That is never, never, never a formula for a good message. All right, look. L- ladies, we, we talked last week about how much your men desire for you to be forward, maybe borderline uh, aggressive right, at times. We, we want, we desire for you to be active and willing participant in sex within our marriages. We want a willing participant, not a reluctant participant. All right, we, and, and I love here that we get this beautiful picture in the Song of Solomon. Like he's saying, you're beautiful. I love your goat hair. I like your sheep teeth. You got breasts like deer. Uh, everything about you is awesome. And she's like, you're dang right. Let's get it on. Like that's, that's how marriage is supposed to work. Men affirm her. She says, you're dang right. Let's, let's make it happen. I'm preaching now. All right. Oh, it gets worse. Let's keep reading the second half of verse 6, 16b. Look at Blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. What is she talking about there? Exactly what you think she's talking about right there. 
that's what she's talking about. <laughs> she continues, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. My, my, my wife is teaching your kids today. I'm a little bit glad. L- listen, listen, listen to me. Listen, we're, we're having a lot of fun and it is, it's a lot of fun, but you got to hear me. The greatest demonstration of love is when it is unbridled, passionate, and given without reservation. Ladies, the, the greatest gift you can ever give to your man is consistent willing sexual access to you. We, we talked last week, read it, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. It says that the, the husband's body doesn't belong to him, it belongs to his wife. The wife's body doesn't belong to, to her, it belongs to, to him. Ladies, let me, let me challenge you to, to love him through his imperfection. And men, let me challenge you to build her up through her insecurities. Let, let your, give your spouse the benefit of the doubt. Nobody in here is perfect. Everybody's got insecurities. He may not always get it right. He might be talking about goat hair and sheep teeth, and you're like, at least he's trying. I, just <laughs> give each other a chance. A healthy sexual relationship between you and your spouse will do wonders to make your marriage healthy. That's why it's part of God's design. Let's, we're going to go over into, like we, that's, that's all of chapter four, moving into chapter five. Look what he ha, he's speaking again at the beginning of chapter five. The first part of the verse, he says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. Now at this point, consummation is over, right? Like it's, it's, the deed is done. And did you notice that nine times in this verse, he uses the pronoun my, is mine. That's my garden. That's my honeycomb. That's my milk. That's my wine. That's my spice. That's my myrrh. Again, because the the wife's body is not her own. It's his. His body is not his own. It's hers. This is what God means when he says that the two became one flesh. You don't belong to you anymore. You, you always belong to God because he's your creator. But when you get married, you belong to your spouse. They should have, for, for lack of a better word, access to you. That's God's plan. That's God's design. Now, I told you last week that in the book of Song of Solomon, God's name is not mentioned and it's not. He does, however, speak once. And it's in the second half of chapter five, verse one. And look what God says. God speaking. He says, eat friends, drink and be drunk with love. Now, if you're looking in your Bible, this might, it might say others right here. There are some scholars that believe that these are the friends that are now speaking, which I think is weird. I just think it's, that's like, you know, the bridal party busting up into the wedding bedroom, like, Hey, good job guys. Hope you enjoyed it. You know, that's weird. This is God. 
looking down at something that he created, that he designed, that has just been consummated in the most honorable way to him possible. And he says, hey, enjoy it. Be drunk on your love for one another. Here's what I want all of us in the room to understand and to know when it pertains to sex and intimacy within our marriages. And if, if you want to write this down, you, you can. Let's put, this, let's put this down together so that we have a good understanding of it. God created it. Culture corrupted it. And it's ours to reclaim. As, as a matter of fact, can we, can we just, yeah, we, we will clap for it. And then here's what I want us to do. Let's, let's say that together, can we? All right, one, two, three. God created it. Culture corrupted it. It's ours to reclaim. Listen, there is a plan and a purpose and a design that God has for your marriage and for sex within your marriage. But it takes us being willing to commit to doing things the way that God has intended for us to do them before we realize the, the, the abundantness of life that God wants us to have, including within our marriage. So here's what I want to do. I want, I want to pray for us today, for, for all of us, whether you are, you're in a marriage, thinking about going into a marriage, you were in a marriage and you're out. I just, I want to pray for us as we begin this, this process or this journey of reclaiming what it is that, that the culture has corrupted. And it can start in here. If we as a church get this right, we, we can become the example you go to Fusion City Church, your marriage just gets better. Like that, that's, that, I'd love that to be our claim to fame. Like you go over there, husbands and wives, they have sex together. Like, like I'm going to that church. Like that's, the, but we'll have a flood of men and dragging the women. I don't know, whatever. But, but, but here's what I know. We, we get this right. We'll see marriages put back together. We'll see relationships healed. We'll see arguments decline. They're never going to go away, but they'll decline. When our marriage, marriages are healthy because our sex lives are healthy, I believe it's honoring to God. After all, it was his plan. Let's pray together. Father, this morning I would ask that for each of us in the room today, God, wherever we are on our journey, that today would be a day of commitment. Father, for, for those in the room that have maybe not waited or saved themselves for marriage, but God would, would like to one day be able to give themselves fully to a spouse without reservation, without guilt. Father, I pray that in this moment, in the quietness and the stillness of this room, God, they would commit to you that right now to have a renewed sense of, of purity, of expectation, and of waiting for their spouse. God, for those in the room that are, that are single but dating, and God, they're, they're trying not to wake up love before it desires, but God, it's hard. I pray that you'd give them the boldness and the courage and the strength necessary, God, to wait so that they can have that, that, that typical God-designed honeymoon experience. God, I just pray that you'd grant them the strength to hold on, to wait. 
And God, for those in the room this morning that are, that are married and the intimacy and passion within their marriage is, is either dead or dying, God, I pray that even now you would begin a, a restoration process of, of drawing husband and wife together to, to truly be that, that one flesh that you described for us in the very first wedding, the very first marriage ceremony, God, you said that the two would become, they would leave their father and mother and become one flesh. God, I want that kind of intimacy and closeness for every marriage in this room. And God, I know that you do too. So Father, I just pray that right now you begin to reach into lives, to change hearts, to touch minds, and God, to restore that which has been broken. God, would you help us to live as passionate lovers of our spouses? God, we love you. We thank you for this this gift, this design that you have for how we should relate to our spouses, to our to those that you've brought us into relationship with, God, to live for the rest of our lives. God, we just ask that you would now to do those things that only you can do. And God, we thank you for how you work in our lives and how you draw us together. We pray it all in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.